You're listening to SuperPod, the no-filter MSP show presented by SuperOps.ai, where we go behind the scenes with today's top MSP owners and experts and get to know what they are really doing to evolve their business. Hi, everyone. Welcome to SuperPod, the no-filter MSP show. I'm Arun Patibun, CEO of SuperOps, and I'm going to be the host today. And I have a very special guest today, Chris Weiser, the CEO of Weiser Agency, an agency helping small business sell online better. In addition, he also runs a seven-figure MSP community, helping MSP owners sell and market better. A lot of his advice, tactics, and frameworks have helped MSPs break the much-coveted million dollar in revenue. And his Facebook community is one of our favorite with discussions around, well, pretty much everything to do with MSP. So without any further ado, welcome, Chris. Welcome, sir. It's good to be here with you today. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So I know it doesn't make any justice me introducing you. I want to know more about you and your agency. And I know you're wearing a couple of hats. I would want to hear it from you. Is there anything I missed out? Yeah. So again, just so everybody knows this, I focus almost exclusively on the IT service provider and managed service provider market. I think for the most part, this podcast is focused there. But that's only who we work with. And that's a very big key in business is having a hyper niche and a hyper focus to build your customer base and to build your expertise. So I think that's very key. And our biggest goal is to go into the MSP marketplace and help the MSP transition how they're selling and specifically working with the business owner or the CEO. Now, some of them are, are a little bit larger. So it's even, and it's kind of crazy to me because even the bigger MSPs, and we talk like, in the MSP world, like 20 to 30 employees is, is in the upper echelon of company size in the MSP world. Even in that size of company, they have very minimal focus on sales. They have a little bit of focus on marketing, but very little focus on sales. And, it, and it's, you can absolutely revolutionize away a one to $2 million firm, even all the way down to a, you know, a $500,000 firm. But the bigger the company, the more you can revolutionize them with sales focus, sales process. And we just... Are in, honestly, we're in the best time ever to be an IT provider because we have a driver out there, cybersecurity, that's helping us to transition the conversation with the client, with the end user client. So we'll talk about, I think, a lot of that today too. So that's awesome. Cool. awesome. No, I was actually looking for someone to ask this question, right? I've been an IT guy, I've seen sales and marketing there, and I've seen marketing automation space. And one thing, like last time I was in the MSP space in way back in 2011, the one thing I always noticed was the way MSPs do business are still very traditional, a little, little bit the way it kind of commoditized and the sales is still the same old way, right? And why do you think it is like that? Why is it not changing? Why are we not adopting newer sales techniques? And why is it not changed or evolved in, in your opinion? And you have been in this journey for almost uh, decade. Well, I've been on this journey for 20 years, honestly. 20 years, so, right? So yeah, I want to ask you, right, because this is a no-filter MSP, you know, I want to know why. Why is that still the same old way and it's not evolved? Yeah. So you mentioned a very key word there, the commoditized word. Yeah. And for those of you that are listening to this, when we think about commoditization or commodities, I'm going to back all the way back up to, let's just go all the way back to when I started my first computer company back in 2000. The way that MSPs and computer firms and everybody all the way up from 2000, all the way to 2021 or, or where we sit now is they've sold products and services. I'm going to call those widgets. So they basically sold widgets and that's what they're delivering. So you think about, it, you go into a gas station, you go into a restaurant, 
you're buying a widget and a widget is whatever, whether it's a sandwich, whether it's a you know donut or whether it's an IT service or an Office 365 mailbox. And it's sold based on a price point. Yes, there's services that come along with it, but it's sold based on a price point. And usually that is because the market that it's in has evolved to only have the value being the price point. It's X for Y, and that's what it is. And if we look at IT services all the way back to when it basically started, that's what it was for the most part. The biggest reason that MSPs have been in that world is because there's never been a real driver other than, and when I say a real driver, there's never been anything that really pushed the end user decision maker to say, I absolutely have to have IT. It was nice and it was needed. They knew it was needed, but it wasn't anything that was really, really pushing them. Well, now let's move into where we sit now. What's a huge driver that we have that's kind of gone unchecked? And there's, it's like the Wild West. Like it's like everybody's like guns blazing, right? Everybody's in the corners. It's hackers, the cybersecurity community. There's, they have no police, they have no laws. Their only police is basically themselves and how hard they can work. That's realistically it. That is now in a place where it's putting the driver for this industry in place. But the, the, the challenge is most of your IT service providers, most of your MSPs, and, and anybody really in the IT community has not evolved with that. They see it as a threat and they know it's a risk, but are they communicating that over to the end user decision maker? Not really. No. So, you know, the way that they're selling hasn't evolved and hasn't changed because they're still selling the commoditized way. And that's, that's really the big factor. It's the driver on the end user side that is evolving. And Arvin, you and I know, you know, we're in the tech space. How big of a threat is cybersecurity right now? How big, I mean, it's huge. There's no company out there that's not at risk of getting hacked or more, you know, the breach is one thing, the ransom or the shutdown is the biggest factor now, I think. And so those things are actually holding the business owner hostage or accountable, you know, right? But the MSP is not going in there and they're allowing themselves to be decided on based on price. And that's how a commodity is purchased. So hopefully that's clear. That's a lot of talk. <laughs> <laughs> I totally understand. Is, is it also because the responsibility doesn't lie with the MSP and it lies with the business owner? I mean, you think about this. If any of you that are listening to this, if you're an IT service provider, or if you're just an IT guy working in a, in a company, or if you're a managed service provider, if you picked up the phone and asked your number one client or the decision maker where you work or whatever, you're like, hey, you guys are going to get ransomware tomorrow. What's your plan? What are they going to do? They're going to be like, well, you tell me you're the IT guy. So what the challenge is, yes, the responsibility lies on them, but they don't know any better. They're lumping it all together. From their standpoint, technology and IT and cyber, it's all the same from their standpoint. They don't see a differentiation place. Whereas most IT people are like, they got almost like a line in the middle where, okay, my IT job goes up to here and I'm kind of hitting against the wall here. You guys can hear it on the mic. I'm hitting up against my line goes up to here, but then cybersecurity goes from that line out. And a lot of IT guys are seeing a differentiation there in a break when in reality, the decision makers and not only the decision makers, but your legislators. So you think about government, they don't separate. They see it as technology as technology, whether it's cybersecurity or fixing a laptop. They don't see it as different. It's all lumped together. The insurance companies also see it as all together. So the bottom line is, yes, I understand that it's the responsibility of the business owner or the decision maker in that end user business, 
to say I need cyber, but they don't know any better. They lump it all together. Yep. They don't realize that they're separate things. So it's on us to educate the prospect, to educate, actually, probably more importantly, for those of you that are listening, more importantly, to educate your existing clients, right. because those are the ones that you have the most risk with, that you have the most risk and the most liability with, because you've been covering everything to this point. And you think about what I just said, they're not differentiated. They see it yep. as all in one. So it's our responsibility. And this is where I think, you know, that one of the things that our coaching program, which is called Seven Figure MSP, we really transition that because we're going back first and having the conversation with the existing client and saying, hey, the times have changed. We need to support you differently. How do you want to handle it? And letting the client, educating them, giving them, and I don't know if you've ever read the book, Arvind, called Start With Why by Simon Sinek, yep. but it's a, great, it's a great example. So if you start with the why, telling them why they have to right. have this, making sure you explain all of those things, then they start to realize, oh, so you're not managing this? For, no, well, no, I mean, I can, but it's not something that I have been positioned to. And you think about how much this industry has evolved. We have, have in those of you that are listening that are an MSP or an IT provider, think about this. You know that this industry has evolved. You know that you need different tools to manage cybersecurity threats. Have you sat down with every one of your decision makers and had that conversation? And what we've found is it's an overwhelming, like 99%, no, we've not. We just kind of do what we do. So that's really critical stuff that you have to focus on and you have to make a point of it. Absolutely. Having a conversation. And first of all, we are not selling. It's not about selling. It's about educating the risk. And both are in this together, right? If something goes wrong, mm-hmm. you are you are also going to be in end of the stick. And it is very important to have the conversation. I, the takeaway I see is to have a conversation with your clients and you're not selling, you're educating. And, you know, I 100% agree with that. Now, what can happen with that is because the risk level is going up, And because the liability level is going up, because the tools have to go up, you can then start to bridge it into, hey, how do you want to manage your risk? Okay, I can manage it for you, but I have to charge you more and I need more commit. So it it can transition into a sales conversation, but it's after they understand, it's after they learn, it's after they get the why. Then when they get the why, we call this in my program in Seven Figure MSP, we call this the risk light bulb. Once the risk light bulb goes on in that decision maker's head, then they're like, oh, 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 crap. Like, we haven't been managing this. Then when, boom, then you got them. Then you can start to go into your sales transition. But, you know, you think about most MSPs. We talked about this in our green room ahead of time. Most MSPs don't have a sales focus. Arvin, you and I both have some Fortune 500 experience together, right? We are some, at least some bigger corporation experience. Yep. And you think about on the bigger corporation side, well, sales and marketing is the biggest departments. Yes. They have that lead. That's a, and you think, then you flip on the upside and you think about MSP and IT service providers at a 40 person company, how many salespeople do you have? Maybe one or two. Yes. So it's literally the flip opposite. So it's really got to turn into a focus that you have. And that's really key with this. So you can turn into sales, but yes. you have to have a purpose yes. and a plan behind it. Pretty much every company which is public, if you see the sales and marketing cost is more than 60%, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and think about, you know, those of you that are, that are listening with us, IT service providers, managed service providers, think about your firm. What's yeah. your sales and marketing focus? It's definitely, okay. it's, I bet you it's under 10%. It's, it's well under 10%. Yeah. 
absolutely i'm going to take a little step back and i'm going to ask you one more question right so for all the msps who have started and who's in the journey of 0 to 1 million and we've all been trained to do business by us or being a techie or a sales guy or a marketer i think most of the founders are techies and they try to do the business for 0 to 1 million right so in your experience i want to ask this as a twofold question when do you think they should set up a proper gtm go to marketing engine and fire themselves as a founder and hand over the gtm functionalities to scale and growth like what would be your step one step to tactics for different sizes sure. of great companies? that's a great question so i think you know a lot of people think on the small side that you don't need that and i actually am a firm believer that you have to make a decision as a business owner there's a certain point that yes i understand you have to be the the person that's going to run it i'll say the the it guy at some point you know it guy or gal whatever you want to call yourself but there's a fine line and i think you can probably get to a million dollars as that guy you're going to have to have help you're definitely going to have to have help you're going to have to have some help desk you're definitely going to have some of the right things and if you're seeing yourself bumping up against any financial barriers or ceilings the problem's usually because you've not delegated it enough or let things go. Arvind, I my guess is you can agree with that because we both yes. come from traditional larger businesses. And so if you want to continue to grow that scale, you have to start early, really early. We have multiple guys in our program, and I'm going to give you a great example. We had a guy named Ryan O'Hara. Ryan O'Hara is in our program. He's a one-man show based in Detroit, Michigan. Here in the states, he's a one-person shop, but he has a fully outsourced help desk. He's a fully outsourced knock he is a fully outsourced sock it's your security operation center and network operation center so he's got all of that fully outsourced and all of his help desk calls and tickets and everything goes directly there so he's already kind of pulled himself out and you know what he's a million dollar business as a one man shop so he's had to make the decision that okay if i'm going to get to that point i know my biggest expense is people for the most part you know we but yep. we all know that he's made a decision that okay i'm going to grow my marketing engine my go to market engine really quickly so in order for me to do that i have to offload some of that time suck which is tickets phone calls working on projects now he does still actually do a lot of his own project work he's got one guy that is he's about ready to hire but it's enabled him to get past he's doing the project work which is pretty controllable versus uncontrollable help desk calls and tickets he's taken that and pushed it off him. So my suggestion to answer come back to the when do you start? You got to start really early and you got to start almost with a plan on day 1. Like I get to a certain point, but that plan also has to come with I'm going to let go of some of the control. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting about this market too, Arvin, I'll I'll say this, most people that start IT business services are techies. Right? We'd agree on that. Mostly tech. Yep. Which Absolutely. means that they yeah. have a very controlling personality because they like specifics and they like details. It's all just personality types. Well, that's kind of the enemy of sales and growth because the the good salesperson and the good marketer and the good business runner is usually not necessarily that. They're a risk taker to a level. They are kind of a fly by the seat in my pants type of level. So you have to really push yourself to transition that, and you have to go to places of discomfort regularly. biggest suggestion is one of the biggest reasons that my seven figure MSP program has been successful is we are an accelerant they come into our program and we push them into places that they never would have gone on their own and then they start to transition and change now you obviously have to take that change on and you have to evolve into that and you have to grow but being by yourself alone with no mentorship 
is kind of a recipe for disaster. So I think you know that kind of answers the go-to-market question. Can you rephrase the second one again, just so? The second question is the tactic <sighs> for zero to one million versus how will you keep the growth, right? The growth by setting up the GTM engine. It's big, there is ramp up time. There is people. It's not just getting the, hiring a sales guy. It's about setting yep. up the engine, seeing what's the pipeline ahead of time and growing the maintaining the growth at five to 10 million, right? So the challenges are different when you're zero to one and the challenges are different when you're more than that, right? Well, so it's much, a, yeah, you're, you're spot on. And it's also much harder to, you know, I've been in some peer groups and some some mentorship groups over time. And, and I see the guys are like, oh, I doubled my business last year. Yeah, you went from 200 to 400 grand or you went from even 500 to a million. million. That's pretty easy. You're spot on yeah. with that. It's very, it's not hard. I'm not saying it's like, Super easy, but compared to going yeah, from two to four million, it's a totally different animal because the scale level is way different. Because if you're going to go from two million to four million, you have to delegate, you have to yeah. bring people in. Most of the MSPs that I see that are bumping up against a revenue barrier, and it's usually like the 800 to million dollar annually revenue barrier, their biggest struggle point is an inability to let go and an inability to delegate. And you have to move yourself from the worker bee. Yep. I don't care whether that's doing projects, doing servers, doing tickets, doing whatever you're doing. You have to move yourself from the worker bee role into I'm going to be a business manager role. You have to focus on scale. You have to focus on process. You have to focus on overall strategy or it's just not going to happen. Like I don't care who you are. Now, what I will say is if you choose to be the guy that's the IT guy and you don't want to do that, but you still want to grow, you do have an avenue, but that comes with hiring a CEO. It comes with hiring an op, probably a COO, you know, your operations person and your president or whatever you want to call them, but a business runner on a day-to-day basis, and then an operations person to make sure strategy runs. And the way that my company works right now is I'm the CEO, but I have three different directors that run market, one that runs ops, one that runs marketing, and one that runs sales. And I have three divisions and I manage them. And that's the kind of concepts you have to do if you're going to do that, or you're going to be butting up against those revenue barriers. <laughs> awesome. So I have a follow-up question, right? So we also touched upon this topic of, okay, you need to expand your business. How do you expand after a point you hit a million and how do you expand? Is it like you go deep with the service offerings or will you expand by going into multiple cities? Like there are two good strategies. There is no right and wrong. I understand. But how do you let your MSPs know what are the strategies to expand your business? Yeah, that's a good question. So I think a lot of this comes down to how well can you scale? I know I keep coming back to that, but growth in business all depends. Arvind, you know this, it's it's all about how you can scale your business. So if you're trading hours for dollars, you, there's only so many you got. It is what it is. Time is a, time is a finite thing that we can't fight against. And we have to also sleep and some of these other variables so we don't get, go crazy. But you know, thinking about that, you got a couple of ways to grow. You can either go after new business or you can sell deeper into your existing clients. And I like to see a mix of both, making sure that you're charging properly. That seems to be, to me, that's probably the biggest avenue that the managed service provider industry is struggling with is they are not charging properly on the front side. And they're, they're basically used to selling. We talked about the commodity stuff in the beginning here. They're used to selling the old way or the, or the traditional way or the way, you know, I guess, you know, you can say, I say the old way, but it's the way that MSPs always done it. So most MSPs just see it as the way it's not the old way or the new way. It's just the way they're used to selling a certain way, which we talked about. And 
that has a certain cap against it. And I'll give you a great example of this. We have surveyed probably about 3,000 MSPs in the last couple of years here in my seven-figure MSP program. And we see an average per seat charge. So most MSPs dictate their business based on how many seats they have. The average seat that we've seen charges about $63 per month per seat, which is really low. To give you an idea, when I had my MSP, I sold that MSP back in 2015. We averaged 182 across all of my seats. We averaged 182, which means I had good value. I had good EBITDA. I had good monthly recurring revenue. But the most of the industry, I've seen as cheap as $12 per seat that MSPs are charging to manage end user clients. And you know, it all comes down to, and they have good, better, best models and these various different ways to sell, but it all comes down to ultimately selling a per seat at a price point. And you get X for Y selling back to the widgets, then you get that. So I think a lot of this comes from looking at what the market has and making sure you're charging properly on the front side, because then you get more money per seat, which means you can have cash flow. We both know cash flow solves almost every problem in a business. You could be running the worst business in the world. And if you have very extremely positive 80% margin cash flow, you're not going to have many problems. Yes, you can fix and, and you can also fix most of those problems with that cash flow. And to give you an idea, in our seven figure MSP program, after the first six months in, the average seat is over 300 per seat. Ooh, that's interesting. So yeah. we're able to, yeah. So, so just from a cash flow standpoint, we're able to go back in and say, here's the things that you're offering. Here's where you realistically should be valued. Yep. Why aren't you selling there? Well, the industry tells me X. Okay. I understand yep. that, but realistically you're not selling with proper margins. This industry has been devalued or undervalued for a long time. Yep. Now we're yep. in this place of you're underselling. Let's move you to this point. And the other battle we have to fight when we talk to MSPs about this, they have this fear of money, which is a whole nother discussion because there's a psychological thing where people are afraid. You know, they have this stigma against being wealthy or even properly charging. And they feel like, oh, if I charge this, I'll be ripping people off. Well, where does that come into play? Because you know, let's just, we've been talking about risk and some of these other different things, but let's just, if we're going to talk about risk, let's talk about the insurance company. Let's talk about general liability insurance. Every single business that's a viable business has general liability insurance. Do we agree on that? Yep. You just have insurance. What's the business day-to-day ROI on general liability insurance? It's zero until when? (laughs) Until you need it. (laughs) You make no money on general liability insurance. It's there for risk. So aren't they ripping everyone off? Well, no, because they're providing a service and they're giving value and they're guaranteeing against a certain level of calamity. It's the same type of stuff we're talking about here, but this industry has this stigma against, oh, I can't charge this. So, you know, some of this is a psychological thing and some of this is there, but a big, big factor with this is getting past that personally, making sure that you actually have a sales engine, making sure that you're charging properly on the front side. How do you get people to buy in? Well, you have to make sure you show value. You have to turn on that risk light bulb that I talked earlier and all of a sudden, you're going to be like, whoa. And, and I'll give you a great example of this. We had a client, just we're talking to them yesterday on, on our weekly co- big coaching call. She went into a prospect. It was a 220-seat roofing contractor, and they closed them at $250 plus per seat per month on 220 seats on a three-year agreement. So do the math on that. That's not a small deal. And 
Note, here's the other caveat. They were over double their next nearest competitors that came in that were bidding on the deal. How did they How did they win? Because they showed value. They showed that they addressed risk. They talked about cybersecurity. They talked all those things and they closed the deal. So it can happen. You just have to, you just have to focus on sales. It's a big factor. If you're listening to Superpod, the No Filter MSP show, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. It helps us bring more amazing guests improve discoverability, and more importantly, acts as a push for our team to produce more quality interviews. Tweet or send us a screenshot of your review, and we have a surprise gift coming your way. I totally agree. I have an interesting story as well. So first, I see the point of first, we respecting ourselves and pricing us right, right? A lot of times we price very less. And because of that, we just don't lose money. It's okay. We know we are not ripping off clients, but Sometimes we also lose the brand value. People might not take you seriously yeah. if you're not pricing it right, right? So I, I have this interesting story. So when we first launched in one of our, one of my past gigs, when we first launched a product, we went to, it's a very large platform and we went to sell it to our customers and they didn't even give us a seat on the table. So we went back saying that, okay, it's okay. We didn't get a deal, but we want to know what did we do wrong. So the feedback they gave us was, I think you should add an additional zero in your quote, in your price. He just said, add another zero. Because if I'm going to buy a product, I'm not going to buy it for $30,000. That, that product, the competitors are bidding at a million dollars. I'm not going to buy it for $30,000. It's going to be at least $300,000. You can actually underprice yourself out of the marketplace by being too cheap. And note, here's another factor. You and I both yeah. know this too. If you are signing and actively going after cheap deals, yeah. those cheap people have cheap mindsets in life. Right. which means they're probably going to be the biggest headaches you have realistically. Right. Like the, you yeah. think of all of us that are listening to this. I think about the, the worst clients I have and they usually were the cheapest ones that we signed. It's also really important. Part of your sales strategy is what you just said, not undervaluing, not underpricing, but also being okay with walking away with deals or walking yes. away from deals. Let me clarify that. Walking away from deals and saying yeah. no, because it's okay to do that. But yeah. part of, I actually call this whole thing kind of the, I call it the MSP wheel of death, which is I start out or I'm in this certain place. I get enough clients to where I'm too busy and I have to hire a person, but I don't have money to hire a person because I didn't charge right in the front side. So I don't hire a person. So I'm still doing all the work and then I don't get it, grow my business. And then I'm, and it's just this giant wheel and we just go around in a circle. And that's how so many MSPs yeah. handle things. Interesting. So let me take a different approach and ask you, Okay, in your experience and from the community and talking to a lot of MSPs, what do you think the biggest mistakes MSPs have done with respect to sales and marketing? I think the biggest thing that they don't do is they don't invest in it on the front side. They don't believe that it's a thing. They think that the only, you know, it's kind of the whole field of dreams. If you build it, they will come mindset. And that's great, but you can only grow your business to a certain point based on referrals and the people you know. You have to have a sales and marketing engine. I don't care what it is. And I firmly believe that you should be focused on sales first. Yep. Most MSPs, if I ask them, what do you need first, sales or marketing? They'll say marketing all day. But the problem is I could hand almost every, I'm going to say 99.5% of MSPs, I could hand you the perfect lead that would close, like let's we look into the future and they'll close at $300 a seat. I could hand you that lead and you'll commoditize it and turn it into all about the product and all about the service, which is going to turn into 
a cheaper sale and it's going to turn into probably a headache client. And you're going to kind of wreck it because you have no sales process and you have no sales structure and you have no plan. Like, how are you going to sell them? And what's your plan to get to that point? We don't do anything in life. Realistically, you think about going all the way back to when we were in elementary school and middle school and high school, everything we did had a syllabus and a plan attached to it. If we were in sports, it had practice with a plan. There was a playbook, like everything that we've done in life. But then all of a sudden we start a business and we're shooting from the hip with no idea what we're doing. And we focus on our craft only with no focus on sales. So learn how to sell first, learn how to establish your value first, learn how to charge a premium amount, because I promise you, if you're charging properly on the front side, you will have the cash flow to grow. And I actually said this a couple couple weeks ago on a live broadcast. I did a live video broadcast and I, I stated out loud, if you give me $600,000, let's just say 500,000 American, you could put me in any market in the United States right now and I will destroy it because I'll have enough cash flow to start. We'll have enough ability to hire and we'll be a million dollar company in weeks instead of years with half a million dollars in cash to start out with. But on the flip side, if you put me with zero money and expect me to bootstrap that firm in any market, it will be a struggle because yeah, it's yeah. without cash flow to start, you are yeah. absolutely handicapping yourself and putting yourself behind every single obstacle that you can be behind. The biggest of which is you don't have any money to make any decisions. So every decision you make is with saving money in mind. It's very dangerous. It's a very dangerous thing. And it's and the biggest factor with that is it's going to take you forever to get to your goal. Absolutely. All right. I have something interesting. I wanted to ask you this, right? What would be that one question you will ask when you hire a sales guy? If you were to get like your favorite question you want MSP owners to ask when they hire a sales guy. Yeah, this is a good one. I think how do you handle objections is probably the biggest question I would have. And it's an interesting scenario because most MSPs, can we talk about the MSP sales guy thing really quick here? Do you mind if we transition? Yeah, yeah into please, that? please. It kind, yeah, of go, yeah. it kind of goes with your question. So I look at how most MSPs that have tried to hire a sales guy, we definitely get this that come in. And you know, for no year, a lot of these guys, you know, we talked about all the stuff we talked about prior to now with MSPs not respecting sales engines. A lot of them are trying to do sales, but they don't necessarily know where to go. And they, for some reason, make a couple of pretty critical mistakes with hiring a sales guy. I think the biggest one is I'm going to hire a sales guy and I'm going to offload not only sales and closing onto them, but I'm going to offload lead generation and, and hunting onto them. And what you guys have to understand is good closers are not good hunters. It's a totally different personality type. There's a reason as you get up, Arvid, we talk about our previous bigger company history, our lead generation teams, our sales development reps or business development reps are totally different teams than the closing teams, correct? Yes. Yes. The prospectors are different than the closers. There's a reason behind that. You have to be a certain type of person to prospect and you have to be a completely different type of person to close deals with tenacity. It's a very important thing. You have to have discipline and process and be willing to take risk and be willing to take no for an answer and be willing to say no to other people versus most people that are good prospectors are people pleasers. That's who they, that's really who they, I mean, it's not, neither of these is negative or, or great or negative. It's just a, an analysis of the scenario. So most MSPs are like, I'm going to hire a sales guy. He's going to run my show and he's going to bring a book of business and drive all these leads. It doesn't work that way. So 
what I like to see an MSP do on the front side is you be the closer, master that, build the strategy or find the strategy. That's what we do in seven figure MSPs. We give you that strategy. You be the closer and you focus on that sales process, getting that to where your pipeline is very full, which means that you also have to adapt and build and believe in marketing, lead generation, sales process generate, like all these things to where you have enough leads coming in and you're closing deals that you have something that you can then hand off to another closer. And that's a really, really big factor because you think about, Arvind, all of the enterprise firms, all of the even mid-market, they all handle things that way. They have prospectors, they have a, a marketing engine, and they fill that marketing engine with qualified prospects, MQLs, marketing qualified leads, which move into sales qualified leads okay. going through the engine. And those SQLs turn go to the closing team to get finished. And that's a big thing. So make sure that if you're hiring a salesperson, my suggestion is you have enough deals that you are so busy with sales that you then want to hand that off. And you are the one as the decision maker to handle that. You can build the strategy. And the other thing I definitely see with this is the MSP, okay, I'm the tech. I'm going to hand, I'm going to literally pick it all up in a basket and I'm going to hand off marketing and sales. and I'm going to give it to an agency or I'm going to give it to a division internally. And I'm not going to wash my hands of it. That will not work. I don't care what you do. You will throw money at that wall and that money will keep, that, that wall will keep projecting the money for as long as you want. You might as well donate that money because at least you get some tax breaks off of it. But that process will not work because you have to believe in the system. It has to be a top-down approach and it has to be with full, in, you have to be fully invested in it as the decision maker to then make it work. I see so many of these companies that are like, ah, I just want to be a tech. I don't want to deal with it. Okay. Well then prepare for it to be a money pit. Yeah. I totally agree. And it also boils down to the culture of the company because it's not just sales or marketing, right? It boils down to what you believe in and how you sell and what you value as you as a service, right? That yes, I totally agree with you. Outsourcing is not going to help. (laughs) So I have something special planned today. We have a rapid fire round. So whatever comes to your mind, just shoot it like short and crisp, a rapid fire, interesting questions, right? Are you ready? Yep. What is your biggest MSP pet peeve? That sales and marketing is a complete waste of money and a scam. All right. So you're from Austin and I love Austin. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to give you three restaurants and I want you to tell me which is your favorite one. Okay. I love this. (laughs) Salt Licks, Chewy's. And Franklin's Barbecue. Well, of those three, I'll say Franklin's. Chewy's is a big chain, so I'm not a huge chain restaurant guy. Salt Lick and Franklin's are actually very similar. I've actually only eaten at Franklin's once, but it's Texas brisket. Can't go wrong there. It's a good fit. And it's something, note that I'm also from the Midwest. I'm a Wisconsin boy. In fact, right now, as we're recording this, let me just look at my phone here. The temperature where I'm from, it's, note it's 70 degrees here. It is 34 degrees Fahrenheit and snowing where I'm from. So I love my Texas brisket. There's your answer. Awesome. All right. So my next question. All right. So what is your number one productivity hack? Like you wear multiple hats. Like what is your number one productivity hack? Yeah. So probably the biggest thing I've done is I block time in my calendar and I focus on those specific things when I block that time. And I block two full days a week to work on my business, not in it. Like we all work in our business from time to time you know, we're a eight figure company, but we're not like insanely big. 
I got about 20 people that work for me. So there's times when I'm working in the business, but I specifically make sure that I dedicate two full days a week, Thursdays and Fridays to working on my business. And we're actually recording this on a Thursday. So you see, I'm working at, this is a working on my business thing that we're doing here. So we booked specifically booked our podcast recording on a Thursday because it's part of my block time. And I'm sitting here recording this. I'm fresh out of the gym. So I do my gym in the morning. I work on my business all day. So I work, work on content. I work on recording content. I work on creating content, visionary, creating course structure, like all these different things. But the big factor is I block it out every week and there's no interruptions allowed from my team. And I'm very disciplined about that. Like I'm, and I, I think that's the other caveat with all of this. It's one thing to say, I'm going to do it. It's another animal to say, I am going to hold myself to it. I'm going to be accountable to myself. I'm going to be accountable to my business. I'm going to be accountable to my team. And that self-discipline is realistically what gets you from mediocre to phenomenal. Awesome. Awesome. All right. My next question is, if you were to recommend a resource where you tend to read or watch or listen to learn about the MSP space, what would be that one resource? It can be anything, a blog or a podcast or anything. Your favorite one. I'm very biased in this, but I've very much become immersed in my IT and MSP business owners group. Arvind, I know that's where we met. I really like, you know, that group's over 10,000 MSP owners now. So it's gotten really large. So from a learning what the, and there's a couple of different avenues here. It's tough because, so I definitely like my group. I like the Facebook groups. They're actually all pretty good. There's a bunch of different ones out there. They're all pretty good. The other factor is this is I am really focusing on pushing myself right now to try and be a disruptor in this industry. It's been, so when you're a disruptor, you have to kind of buck the trends. You have to kind of look at different things. So I think another factor with that is reading and learning books that are not in this industry, but pushing you down an avenue that's never been explored before. So I look at a lot of, I'm doing more listening to books now. I try and listen to a book a month. I'm a little bit behind. It's tough because we're busy and we're business. But when I started the Wiser Agency, as we sit right now, I left a really good, really good job to come start this because I believed I saw a hole in the marketplace. And I read 52 books in 50 weeks. So that was something that like, I actually yeah. didn't, I took time off. I didn't go to work for anybody. Yeah. I didn't do any of that stuff, but I took literally a year to work on this stuff. And I took time to actually reflect and self-focus. And I read a massive amount of books that had zero to do with the MSP industry. They had to do with theory and strategy and sales process and digital marketing and how to build all these different things. And nobody in this industry had been doing that. Gotcha. So, you know, from a disruptor standpoint, you have to sometimes buck the trends and do different things. And I fully believe now we've stumbled onto that. We've come onto that disruptor thing with, you know, we're doing a very strong risk mitigation focus. I talked a little bit on that on the front side. If any of you guys that are listening to this, watch any of my videos inside of the Facebook group and these other pieces, it's all about moving the MSP provider or the IT provider away from being just the widget seller and the IT guy to a risk management firm. And that is a very big focus that I get massive amounts of kickback from that massive amounts of negativity from that because people are very comfortable in what they do, but that's part of being a disruptor. So I think it's just pushing yourself in a place that you've never been before. Awesome. All right. After the pandemic, which vacation spot would you go first? Well, so I actually, so my wife and I both had COVID back in July of 2020. We both are still, you know, 
almost, you know, we're eight, nine, 10 months out of that still antibodies positive. So we've actually been traveling a decent amount. I've been to, I was in Jamaica in November. We were also in Mexico in December and St. Thomas in January. So I'm going to say probably out of those three, I mean, I love other nations, but St. Thomas was probably my favorite. It's a smaller island and it's a really nice little spot. That's, you you know, 25 minutes, you can drive anywhere, anywhere. So it's a, it's a nice spot. So I'd say St. Thomas, U.S. Virgin Islands is where I would go. Awesome. All right. I have one last question. So if you were to recommend a next guest who should be in this podcast, who would you recommend? Ooh. MSP focused? Yes. Yeah. Oh, no, I'll um, keep it open. It's completely up to you. Whatever adds value, like MSP should listen to them. Yeah. yeah, I think, you know, from an ads value standpoint, there's a couple of people out there that are really, ha- they have a lot of stuff that they're doing. There's a young man named Tom Lawrence that has built a YouTube channel, kind of as a disruptor as well. Tom Lawrence has done a great job. He's not a client of mine at all. We've known each other in passing through going to trade shows and different stuff over time, but I've kind of watched him adapt YouTube as a really good educational and lead generation topic or platform. And he's done a great job with that, focusing on building his expertise to peers, but more importantly, he's been using it to propel his MSP and using his YouTube videos as an educational platform to basically establish himself as the expert. So Tom Lawrence is one. I'm going to give you one other one. This one is one of my clients. Her name is Jerry Morgan. She's in Denver in the States. She's definitely one of my clients, but she is using Facebook Live and LinkedIn Live videos to do a very similar thing to what Tom Lawrence is doing. So you got somebody using YouTube, which is a recorded platform, but then you have another person that is using LinkedIn and Facebook, almost Facebook exclusively. And she does live videos every single day about cybersecurity and how to protect your business. And she's educating people and she's grown her business from basically a tiny little husband wife shop in Denver to one of Denver's largest IT service and cybersecurity providers. So Jerry, so I'd say Tom Lawrence would for a non-client that's doing YouTube and Jerry, Jerry Morgan on the other side for someone that's using Facebook live and LinkedIn live. That's awesome. Gives you two awesome. prospects to go after. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much, Chris. And for all the listeners out here, today was amazing. We got to hear from Chris on the importance of sales and marketing. And I would want to end it with an analogy. It's like Kirk and Spock, tech and uh, GTM is as important as it gets. And we get to hear from Chris himself. And thank you so much for being part of SuperPod, the No Filter MSP show, and looking forward to have you again. Same here. And I'm a Trekkie too. So that's a good, that's a really good fit. (laughs) Thanks so much, Arvind. Good to be here, buddy. Awesome. Thank you.